Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 27th episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In this new moon episode, I'll be discussing work, career, and success. We'll be speaking to Emily Wapnick, author of How to Be Everything, a guide for those who still don't know what they want to be when they grow up. Then I'll be discussing the book I'm reading now, which is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation with affirmations for a successful career. But first, let's talk about my own professional career journey. What advice would I give to my younger self? Well, there are many times in my life that I felt lost in the past. And now with my wisdom, I would love to go back to a time when I was 22 and I was about to graduate. And I'd like to say to myself, it's okay to not know what you're gonna do with your life. I went to a university that was very business orientated and many graduates or many people in the final year already knew what they were going to do for their life, you know, for their, or for their following years. They already found some graduate job packages with excellent perks. And it all sounded very glamorous, being suited and booted, working for a multinational and travel and all of those things compared to, you know, student life of, um, you know, baked beans and toast and uh, poverty, basically. And I didn't really, I, that didn't really appeal to me, although that was the reason why I went to the university I went to, because of the excellent graduate employment uh, figures. But then when I got to that stage, I was like, mm, I don't know about this. For me, my calling was to learn another language. I wanted to come and live in Spain, and I already speak French. So if I'm going to be a linguist, then having just one foreign language seemed to be um, not enough. So I wanted to come and live in Spain, and uh, the job market in Spain is not the same as in London. But for me, uh, I've I realized that I valued m- location more than working for a big multinational or something like that. So I went to Spain and I was an English teacher. And I remember when I um, was telling someone that I went to university uh, with about my plans to become an English teacher. And it was I did that because it's kind of the easiest way to find a job in a foreign country um, if you don't speak the language. And when you have the TEFL certificate, you can use it anywhere in the world. And my teaching was not my passion at all, but it was easy, just an easy way to land in a country and get a job. So anyway, when I told this to one of my friends and he said to me, I thought you were ambitious. What are you going to do in Spain? Sell ice cream? And I just thought, wow, that was the end of a friendship. <laughs> I just felt very, very judged by him. Not that there's anything wrong with selling ice cream if, that was, if that's what you want to do. But I didn't want to do that. Um, but 
it just uh, I didn't want to really want to teach either but for me it was just a kind of like thing I wanted to do for a while to fund my life in Spain as I as I learned the language and I was an English teacher for a year in a kind of language academy where people that students were paying for their own classes it was kind of general English um, first certificate advanced certificate and some teenagers as well so everyone I was teaching kind of had a basic grasp of English and we could have debates it wasn't just a basic you know learner um, beginner English like I am and you are it was a bit more interesting than that and and then for the second year when I was an English teacher in Madrid I started giving business English classes and I had a very very amazing job actually uh, many people I worked with had already kind of left the rat race in London and wanted to come to Spain to have a, a kind of nicer more relaxed lifestyle and but I hadn't lived that rat race and I kind of craved it if I'm honest um, so anyway I had this incredible job where I had taxis waiting for me outside my apartment at 7 30 in the morning to take me to um, a multinational to actually give an English class to the, to the CEO, to the presidents of the company, to really um, hire high uh, advanced um, senior executives. And so I was working for all of these companies, um, like KPMG, British American Tobacco, Pepsi, lots of pharmaceutical companies. So I had a kind of like slice of the companies that my my fellow students were going to work for but I was a teacher and I always envied um, the, the students I had actually I was thinking wow you've, you're working for a company who's prepared to invest in your learning and you're getting free classes isn't that amazing and but but no one was really passionate or appreciative about this uh, the fact that they could get free English classes and also when I went to these kind of industrial um, parks with these big companies and you know you have to have a card to get through the security and these big canteens where there's a lot of anonymity everyone's an employee number and I was thinking wow I would love to work in a place like this um, but I was just a visiting a visiting teacher um, and uh, so I never really got that uh, experience but um, what was fantastic is that as we were talking about work and different responsibilities my job as an English business English teacher allowed me to kind of understand the structure of companies and, and how they worked without having to do a business degree. I mean, I, I taught people of many different um, levels and also HR people, CEOs, and marketing, engineers. It was incredible. I mean, it's incredible um, to see how personalities could also vary. If you have a class of, let's say, sales or marketing people, it's very different from teaching, let's say, financial staff. You know, it was all, it was very interesting to see how personality can kind of gravitate towards different skill sets in, in a company. That's a massive generalization, but that's something I did I did notice a lot. And what I learned from that was um, that I, the, the, the department that I most felt drawn to in a big company was the sales and marketing. I'm not kind of um, kind of like a, a ruthless salesperson, but I like the idea of export sales and travel and using my languages and also marketing um, for creativity. And, and when I left Madrid and I came to Barcelona, I was adamant that I was not going to teach again. So I became a salesperson in many different sectors. And, and at first I was just finding my feet and I did lose some jobs after, after a, a few weeks or a few months. And I felt a lot of instability and, um, yeah, so I remember going to family weddings at this time uh, in my life and uh, one of my aunties 
used to say to me, oh, you're changing jobs a lot. And I was thinking, you've no idea what I'm going through trying to make things, you know, make ends meet in a foreign country and just trying to work as a single independent woman. And um, yeah, so people should be careful when they when they start judging other people based on their career, because I mean, it's just everyone needs encouragement, not not criticism. And she didn't mean it in a in a, in a supportive way at all. Um, and then when I I started working in export sales, which was fantastic. Um, at first, I worked in the kind of industrial company creating machinery, which was really dull. But the the, the tasks of the job I really liked, you know, treat. Um, dealing with people in France and in the UK in Holland so I was speaking French all day so it was amazing to actually practice my French while living in Spain then it got more interesting when I found I was actually first of all export assistant for that but then I found a job as the actual export sales person which was so cool because I found a job in a printer so I was working in a in a offset printer printing hardback books coffee table books and I had to start a department from scratch. So I remember printing out this uh, Yahoo business directory and uh, for, of um, publishers in London. And out of the page jumped erotic and fetish. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I actually planned a business trip of one week going to meet um, very kind of sex magazines, fetish magazines and um, very upper class um, erotic books and erotic art publishing houses and it was just amazing actually and that's kind of what inspired me to go down the erotic route I loved sitting in meetings and and having a very kind of matter-of-fact discussion about books with titles such as you know oral sex guide or whatever and, and, and people were saying these terms as if it was the most normal thing in the world and I remember thinking this is what I really want to do it was a crazy crazy dream at first and I did kind of do, I was an erotic model in my, on the side as a hobby. Um, but I never imagined that, that I would actually end up becoming um, an erotic content creator. Um, but then after the, um, in print, it's very difficult. Uh, it was, I, was, I was in that industry at a very difficult time because, um, you know, the digital world was kind of taking over. And also Spain wasn't always like kind of the cheap country to print anymore. There were other countries, for example, like such as Poland that were cheaper and also China. So I kind of gradually lost my clients. So I was coming from a dwindling sector. And also, you know, if you're in sales and you're going to a company every day, um, and you're not having the figures that, that you're expected. You don't kind of feel very good about yourself. And I think sales is also the perfect bridge between being an employee and being um, freelance, being self-employed, because the, you do have a commission and um, you do have this one. For me, I kind of like arrived late every day because my clients used to phone me on my mobile. And I had this kind of like feeling of I don't need to go by the rules so much because I'm bringing all this cash into the company. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and then I worked in luxury real estate. So I went from a very industrial work environment in, in the factories, except for the times when I was traveling and going to book fairs, which was amazing. So I was going from factories to actually one of the nicest parts of Barcelona and I was um, in charge of a very nice area called the Bo the Bourne in Barcelona which is an area where many people wanted to live and I was um, doing viewings um, in luxury real estate from Monday to Friday and I had VIP clients I mean they were 
they were looking for a pied a terre in Barcelona as an investment. No one um, was buying with mortgages. It was all cash. And I used to go, end up going for lunch and dinner with some of my clients because they were just such interesting people. Whenever I had a client, I would be Googling them after. And I was like, oh my God, do you know who that guy was? It was really, really fascinating. But I was I was in real estate at the worst time to be in real estate, which was uh, 2007, 2008, 2009. And it got to the point where my life was a bit of a a massive contrast because I could barely feed myself or pay the rent. And at the same time, I was dealing with absolute luxury at work. Um, So I was living this massive contrast. And um, that's what really kind of propelled me or inspired me to to become a blogger in the end. I just was very inspired by my clients. I thought, if they can do it, I can do it. So instead of having the self-doubt I had, they gave me a lot, a lot of self-belief. And so all of throughout this time, I was, you know, changing jobs all the time from teaching to export assistant, to export sales, to real estate agent. And um, I was always working really hard for other people and to the point where I was burnt out. And I used to be so tired at the weekends. I used to wake up at 2 p.m. on a Saturday because I was just exhausted from the week and whatever I did all the efforts I made were not being appreciated by my bank account or anything like that or by the companies I was working for so I just felt very like the world was against me almost there was a time um when I before I went to export sales that I did think about leaving Barcelona and going to London and getting a serious job but then I just felt so attached to Barcelona that I was really kind of um, willing to, to try and make it work. Um, but then when I set up my blog, which was not an easy thing to to do, I mean, to actually start a sex blog, I was, you know, very worried about what people would think of me, how people would judge me, which did happen. Um, not as badly as I thought, but but I did, I did um, end up having to eliminate some people from my life just for their negative judgment of me or just kind of I, I say shadow banned people who I stopped engaging with too much because it was always negative when, when whenever I spoke of what I was doing they were always kind of putting down um, what I was doing my endeavors <laughs> um, but very soon after I started my my blog venusohara.org in 2009 I started to get collaborations um, such as writing a book um, with Erica Lust I started to um, collaborate with Spanish media outlets. I, I, I wrote two more books. Um, so I had a very kind of like sporadic up and down with uh, with salaries. But um, but I didn't really have a kind of business plan when I started my blog and things kind of developed for me in a very organic way. So as I got more well-known, I started to receive different emails in my inbox with different um, proposals that kind of led me down different paths. And that's how, for example, I got my media um, collaborations because someone had found me and then I was offered, I was literally offered um, columns that I didn't even ask for. I was offered books that I didn't even ask to write, which was amazing. So there's these things that just kind of landed in my lap, helped me confirm to me that I was on, on the right path. And then when I was very popular in Spanish media, then I started to receive sex toys for free. And then people were asking me for advertising back on my own personal blog. So it was everything, everything was kind of like developing in a very organic way. At first, I was making reviews of sex toys in Spanish for local shops then it became distributors, then it, I started doing content in English and making a YouTube channel and then dealing with global brands and then I went global as well and then um, now I'm doing so many different things but the thing is when I was changing jobs all the time before being a content creator, I felt that I was kind of re 
um, reinventing myself or becoming a new person. It felt very draining to try and kind of give all my efforts into one thing or make a lot of effort in one thing. And then it kind of, it has to be something else and something else. I was kind of like looking for something that's going to fulfill me. Whereas now when I change my offerings, I don't feel as though I'm reinventing myself or that I am um, becoming a different person. It's kind of like adding to something I'm already building. Um, so I, I do feel that, because um, I do think we have um, our job or our profession is very much linked to our self-identity and maybe some some maybe too much sometimes but there's a lot of um you know people's self-worth they think about maybe their, their job can be linked to that and it was definitely for me before i became a content creator whereas now i can add new ideas and new business ideas to my to my offering i don't feel as though i'm becoming a different person or reinventing myself i'm just adding to to something that i love and um, yes i'm always open to to new opportunities and speaking of new opportunities I mean in the last few years I have been a product development consultant as well as a reviewer I've been designing and now obviously with this podcast I've been doing voiceovers I'm also a commercial actress I make uh, I've been in many many adverts for big multinational brands as well and my latest um, endeavor or new (laughs) project is Actually, I've been giving lots of uh, workshops here in Barcelona about sex magic, which is using sexual energy to manifest. And this is something that I discovered four years ago. And it's something that I think, I believe that has really changed my life. Um, I've, I've become more stable and more abundant as a result. And it's just been absolutely fantastic. Four years ago, I was in a moment of a lot of self-doubt. I had, you know, because freelance life is a lot of ups and downs and it's very unpredictable um, and income can be very unpredictable as well. So I was at a time in my life where I was living in a penthouse apartment by the sea, which sounds great, but I had all these sex toys in boxes and I didn't even have furniture. I didn't even have a table to sit at because I was it was tiny and the, the only table I did have was was my messy desk, which was more important than than, than having somewhere where I could eat. And, I, and to to kind of get the clutter off the off the desk to eat was every day or for every meal is just was just not happening. And yeah, so it was a lot of a lot of self doubt. And I, I was always cold, I was always hungry. And I had no sofa for a long time. The bed I was sleeping on was disgusting. It was um, this old mattress and no pillow. I just kind of, I used to fold a blanket. And then I was at a moment of crisis. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I've, if I deserve this life I have created for myself. And I went down the self-help route. This was in March 2018. And I discovered the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which is the biggest selling success book of all time amazing book and I was very surprised to find that there is a chapter about called the mystery of sex transmutation and I was like why is there a chapter about sex in a book about success I was very intrigued about that and sex transmutation is about transmuting your sexual energy and harnessing it and having a different outlet for it so let's say not having an orgasm or not kind of indulging in sexual activity instead of kind of like using your breath or meditation or thoughts to actually use the energy and then focus on the project that you would like to work on in, in you know, something non-sexual. So having a non-sexual expression of this built up energy in your, 
in your body. And I thought, wow, that's so interesting. So I went down this kind of rabbit hole of discovering more about sex transmutation. And I thought that sounds great, but I'm a sex toy reviewer. So I don't want to be really denying my orgasm. So then I discovered something else called sex magic, which is a similar concept of uh, using sexual energy to manifest, but with orgasm. And I thought that sounds exactly what I would like to do. So I started practicing sex magic. And now, I mean, I managed to pay off all my debts. I managed to have lots of success. I managed to change apartments, get a decent bed, get tables and all this kind of things that I was, I was struggling to get before. So now I'm, I'm living a lot more comfortably and uh, as a result. And there are many things that I have manifested on a personal level as well. Health, um, clients, um, business and holidays. I mean, I never even imagined I could go on retreats or or be a spiritual tourist before, but now I've done many, many retreats and kind of spiritual holidays um, since I've been doing sex magic. And I'm just... I use I use this tool every single time that I use a toy. So for me, the, the process of masturbation is something very sacred and, and holy. Because, I mean, people think of masturbation and they just think of, like, just, you know, rubbing one out to porn, which is so not what I'm about at all. For me, it's more about an experience of connecting with the divine. It's a cosmic experience. And it's kind of like for me to center on something I want to manifest in life. And I really focus on that. And I also focus on, it's not, doesn't mean I'm taking the pleasure away, not at all, but there's a lot more going on in my head during the process of masturbation now. And uh, I've read all of the books I can, the, the books I can find on sex magic. There are definitely some more I can be reading. And now I'm offering coaching on sex magic. And I've had a few clients already. And the people I've um, taught about sex magic, it, they are kind of, uh, they really do, enjoy my my teachings and they put it into practice straight away and they've uh, also got great stories of their own manifestations because I like to think of it as a form of consensual brainwashing it's about kind of like helping with your mindset about to kind of focus on what it is you desire and believe that you can have it there are other things which are also very important in any type of manifestation which is taking action and also surrender which is very, very important not to be too attached to the things that you want to manifest. So yes, yeah, so my life is very different now, Thank, you, thanks to sex magic. And I'm really glad I went down the route of not caring what other people thought of me and um, following my dreams to become a sexual wellness content creator. And now I'm kind of getting more into uh, one-on-one coaching space. I'm creating an online course and I'm also getting into the, the wellness space as well, because I do believe that sexuality packaged as part of a healthy lifestyle makes it more digestible and even more powerful. So yeah, that's my journey as a multi-potentialite. I'm going to be speaking to Emily Wapnick, the author of How to Be Everything, and she is an expert on multi-potentiality, which is having many interests. And when I found this book, I really felt identified having all these different things going on in my career and now I feel like normal which is fantastic so let's find out more do you want to talk to me I'm offering 60 minute sessions on zoom I offer a safe space for you to contact me to discuss any of the topics that I talk about on my website youtube channel and on this podcast please note that I'm not a therapist Our calls are not a replacement for therapy. Here is a list of topics that I'll happily discuss with you. 
sexual wellness product consulting, self-love mentoring, sex magic coaching and guidance, content creation brainstorming, accountability partnership, life in Barcelona, Spain, and how to veganize your life. If you'd like to book a call with me, please visit my website, venusohara.org, for more information. Okay. Emily, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you so much for taking part in this interview today. I'm very happy to have you here. And you are a multi-potentialite. Can you tell us what that means? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, thank you for having me. This is, this is really fun. Um, yeah, so a multi-potentialite is someone with many interests and creative pursuits. It's, um, it's someone who, you know, has trouble being put into one category, um, like someone who wants to do many things and be many things and explore many things. Okay, so when people ask you, what do you do? How do you answer? Mm, uh, it kind of depends who's asking. Mm -hmm. um, and it depends who's asking and why. Mm -hmm. So um, if someone's just being polite or if it's like, you know, um, I'm like crossing the border and the person there's like, would, you know, asking what would I do? I'll usually say I'm a writer because that's just like simple, neat. But if it's someone who's genuinely interested in getting to know me and we're having a whole conversation, then I will say I run an online community and they'll be like, oh, what's that about? And then I'll talk about Putty Like and the different work I do and I might mention my book. And yeah, usually, you know, I don't have like a great um, 15 second elevator pitch. I, I just prefer to have a conversation if possible. Mm -hmm. You said that was one of the most feared questions of multi-potentialites in, in yeah. your book because <laughs> yeah. then would be, I think people ask me that as well because I'm as a multi-potentialite when I say mm. I'm a writer then the next question is what do you write about you know and then it kind right. of goes on <laughs> yeah do you well, find people that ask me what I write about and then I say oh I write about people who have many passions and then they're like, okay tell me, you know so that also kind of leads into the the, the topic but of course there's like other things that I do also and mm -hmm. Sometimes I bring those things up and sometimes I don't. It kind of just depends. Yeah. Speaking of your online community, it's called the Puttyverse. Is that correct? Um, yeah. Can you tell us all about that and, and how it works? Sure. Um, okay. So there's two websites. There's Putty Like and the Puttyverse. Mm -hmm. On Putty Like, you can get lots of free articles about what it means to be a multi-potentialite, how to thrive in the world as a multipod. Um, and then if you want more support, you can join the Puttyverse. And the Puttyverse is a private community. We've got a very active forum. We've got events every week. There's like, sometimes there's like 20 events on our calendar because we encourage our members to create their own events. And it's a community of multi-potentialites, people with all kinds of interests. And um, But yeah, basically we support each other. Um, we do workshops, we do co-working, which we call, we call those focus parties where we're all kind of working on different projects and we set timers and um, we have accountability matchmaking where you can get paired up with another multiple potentialite and you can be your accountability buddies and check in about your projects and it's just kind of like, it's a community for support to help people who want to embrace their many passions and build a life around you know, doing multiple things. 
I saw that it's quite um, well. It's not so easy to be, become a member of this uh, the Potiverse. I saw that you can't just pay and, and become a member. It's a bit more complicated. Can you tell us what the process is and, and why you created it this way? Well, so we open the doors once a month uh-huh. to new members. So I mean, it is some, like you do just go and pay and become a member, but it, you have to do it during the two day window, um, and you can get on the email wait list. Um, if you go to theputtyverse.com and then we'll send you an email a week before the doors open and then when the doors open. Everyone's um, rushing. We do it this way. <laughs> yeah, we do it this way just um, mostly to kind of make the space feel safer for our existing members so that we don't have like new people popping in all the time. Um, and it's, it's nice to be able to just like rally around the new cohort coming in and welcome everyone at the same time and a bunch of people are posting their introductions in the forum at the same time um so i think you know both for the people joining just so that they can get the support from our team and from the community and for our existing members um it it works well to have just this like concentrated period of time every month where new people join and do you kind of make sure that they are multi-potentialites or is it just naturally attract multi-potentialites <laughs> we don't no we don't no, um, no. but we, you know anyone can join the community as long as they abide by our community guidelines we've got guidelines that we wrote and got feedback from the community and so as long as people are being kind and respectful and inclusive um they i don't really care if they're multi-potentialite or not i mean if they're there and they're getting something out of it and they're interacting if they don't identify as a multipod, I, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> you know? um, and obviously they're getting something out of it. So, um, no, we don't, we don't like quiz people first. To, to okay. Like, them apply or anything. There's a lot of pressure on people to kind of find their purpose and find, fit in a box, you know, with work. And I, I had the same issues myself with my own journey and um, when other people find what they're doing, you know, mid twenties or just after university and it can be very, you know, you don't know what to do after having so much guidance from university. And I guess being a multi-potential, like having so many different interests, well, it was like this for me, it was very daunting and kind of a bit, I felt I didn't really find my place in the world. And I guess, was it like that for you? And when the moment, what was the moment like when you discovered you were a multi-potential and it could be your biggest asset? Was What was that moment like? Yeah, um, it, was, it was definitely a lot like that for me too. I think I felt a lot of anxiety, um, all growing up in my teens and in my early 20s where I would think I found my thing and I would I would get really good at it actually and I'd start pursuing it professionally and then I would sort of be like, oh, okay, I kind of like, I kind of got what I came for. Like, I, this, is, this is getting a little bit boring and I want to explore <laughs> something new. But every time I did that, I would feel this like tremendous guilt and shame and I just be like what's wrong with me like why can't I just pick something and stick with it forever like you know um and I think it was uh, so I was in law school I finished law school but I didn't want to become a lawyer I was I reached that end point again for myself where I was like ah, I don't think that's right for me um and I was exploring the idea of starting something of my own um and I took uh, an online class on like building, building a business, coming up with a business idea. And I got stuck in the second module, which was all about choosing a niche. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, I was making all these lists. I was journaling. Um, and 
I was like, I can't choose a niche because there's like all these different things I'm interested in. And then I realized like, maybe that's the problem that I could try and solve. Like, you know, maybe there are other people out there who are doing many things and are, have like found a way to make it work professionally um, and are happy and don't feel this tremendous sense of guilt and anxiety and are just like embracing it and living that life. Um, so I started blogging about that topic and writing about my experiences and talking to other people about their experiences. Um, and I conducted a whole bunch of interviews for my book um, and tried to, yeah, just kind of shared what I was learning. And that's how Putty Like started. Um, and I think it was through that process um, that I came to accept my own multi-potentiality. Just through seeing other people who are like happy and successful and also just making the choice to like stop feeling bad about it and start embracing it and and then I could see like the gifts that it it brings you know I mean I could use my my web design skills on for this project um I could use some of the writing skills that and like writing good arguments that I learned in law school um in articles on my website and like there I was just like using all these skills that I learned in different places um, to build this this community, this business. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, maybe this is a thing that, that multi-potentialites do. We like draw from different backgrounds, different areas, and we use those skills in, you know, unconventional ways, but that's like a huge asset. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of my process. That's amazing. It's amazing going from the, the negative to being a, a big asset, you know, it's such an incredible realization I suppose yeah 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 and I think that's like a lot of people experience that when they come to putty like when they see my TED talk um just this feeling of relief mm. um and you know I, I hope to be able to provide more than that like support and resources and all this stuff but if all they get is just a feeling of relief and like some self-acceptance then that's that's wonderful so in your book, How to Be Everything, I love it. It's one of my friends who's actually a member of your website recommended this to me. And I bought it straight away because I completely identified with the concept. And also you, you mentioned four types of multi-potential I hear. Would you like to tell us what they are? Sure. Um, and I will say there are four work models. And, uh-huh. I, you know, people, they're not types of multi-potential. It's just because I don't want people to be like, which type am I? And okay. I feel like you need to put themselves <laughs> into a box. You can move between these work models, you can blend them, but they are like a starting place um, and I wanted to provide that. So when I was interviewing people for the book, my main question was like, how do you structure your career to get the variety and the money and the meaning that you need in your life? Um, and I found that, you know, people did it in all kinds of different ways. I met multi-potentialites who were entrepreneurs and artists and uh, multi-potentialites who were doctors and had more conventional careers. And I was like, okay, how do I make sense of this? And what I was able to do is kind of fit everyone more or less into one of these four work models. So um, I'll go through the four models. Um, So we've got the group hug approach. And this is where you, it's like all of your interests coming together in a big group hug. It's (laughs) It's a nice name. Um, so this is where you find one job or um, a business that you own, perhaps, where you get to wear many different hats and do many different things. Um, I 
interviewed a woman named Margot who works at a company where they like let her move between departments and um, you know she, she's been there for like 20 years or something and the reason it stayed interesting is that she's got she, she got you know she's done a lot of different things um, some web design some video editing uh, a whole bunch of things um, so that's the first model is to kind of like do multiple things in one entity whether that's a job for your own business something like that um, the second work model is what I call the slash approach and this is where you have multiple part-time um, jobs and or businesses um, so this is someone who's like the and this is the person I interviewed who is um, a freelance marketer slash uh, she works at a nonprofit for a few days a week slash she's an aerial silks artist. You know, this is like the person who's a programmer slash yoga instructor slash accountant. You know, this uh -huh. is, yeah. So like people who have, who use this model, like each of their slashes, each of their revenue streams, um, for different reasons, they use a different part of their brain. They, you know, bring out a different side of their personality. Um, but they tell me, they've told me that they wouldn't want to do any one of them full time. So the part time nature is very intentional um, and they get that variety by kind of um, cycling through these different work projects over the course of their week. Um, and then the third, the third commonly used work model is the Einstein approach. And I called it this because Albert Einstein worked at the patent office. So he had this like government job. It was very stable, full time. Um, but it was notoriously slow paced. So it allowed him to develop his theories on the side um, after work. And so this, you know, some people will do this. Some people will have a stable nine to five that kind of like provides the resources that they need, but leaves them with enough free time and money to pursue their passions on the side. So one of the people I interviewed for this section was a guy named Charlie Harper, who is an IT director. Uh, but then when he leaves the office, he goes to a cappella group and he performs in musical theater and he, he's also a carpenter. And when he spoke, he had just built a boat. Um, so, you know, the benefit of this approach, well, one of the benefits is that you don't need to monetize every single passion, every single thing that you become interested in. You can just kind of explore freely and know that your, your full-time job is supporting those different passions. Um, of course, it, it, that work needs to provide you with the resources you need, and um, not let you, you can't you can't take up like all of your time. It needs to leave you with enough free time to um, explore those things, and that's where the term "good enough job" comes in, mm -hmm. which I think is a barber share term that I used in that section of my book. Um, and then we've got the the Phoenix approach, and this is someone who dives into one field for a number of years and builds a career in that area. And then at a certain point, they transition and start something new in a totally different space. Um, and people who use this model uh, will, will often like explore the next thing a little bit on the side, just while they're still doing the first thing to make that transition a bit smoother. Um, but yeah, I've seen this when I've interviewed multi-potential. Someone will be, you know, one thing for 10 years and then they'll switch and they'll start a whole new career in a different area. Um, and that's another way to make it work. So would you say that you were a phoenix then in the past? Uh, um, I, I don't know. 
know. It's hard to say right now. I'm definitely a group hug. Okay, because I think you've talked about that about the different. There's like a diagram of those different paths that you were on, and now yeah, your different interests. Yeah. I mean, I do tend to. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a, a sequential multi-potentialite. Mm-hmm. I think I tend to dive into fewer things for a longer period, as opposed to being a simultaneous multipod where I've got like twenty things that I'm equally interested in all the time. Um, so I think that does lend itself more to the Phoenix thing. Mm-hmm. I'd say I'm like a mix between Phoenix and group hug. Because mm-hmm. maybe maybe your journey is a bit similar to mine, because I became a group hug like when I started. My blog is eight um, 13 years today is like my blog anniversary. But since I made that decision, um, everything kind of came together because I was, you know, a writer and a podcaster and, you know, um, what else am I doing? YouTuber. And I'm also writing for different um, media outlets in England and in Spain. So I've had all these different things that have come together because it's all about the same similar topics like lifestyle, sexual wellness. And I just felt like um, this was really, I don't know, I feel like more my identity. I don't know how how I would describe it. It just feels like the right path, whereas before it was absolute confusion because I was an, a reluctant phoenix, you know, just losing mm. jobs after a while or contracts were over. It's like, what do I look do now, you know? Mm-hmm. And wanting to live in a place like Barcelona, you can't just go for anything. It's not maybe as good as some other job markets other way, in other places in the world. So it was really difficult sometimes to... So I think we always all define ourselves, although many people buy our jobs. And when you find that your job is not valuing you, it's very, it really hurts your ego, you know? Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one benefit of the group hug approach is it does feel like you're getting to express the, the breadth of who you are in what you do. And mm-hmm. there's something very satisfying about that. I, I feel it too. I feel kind of like my online community is like like party like is kind of like a digital reflection of me which mm-hmm. feels really nice feels very authentic and that's, yeah it's a good feeling i really liked how you address some of the um challenges of multi-potentialized because one of the challenges i have um i'm sure you probably have as well is, is the the overwhelm of wanting to do so many things actually i think multi-potentialized should be ceos of like huge organizations because you kind of know how a lot of little things work and it'd be nice just to kind of be the decision maker and not have to do the grind, you know? What do you think? Yeah. I think a lot of CEOs probably, maybe most of them are multi-potentialites. Like, I think you <laughs> kind of need to be one to, to run mm-hmm. a business. Um, yeah. So what do I think about overwhelm? overwhelm yeah. That's, that's quite common. I think with any... any um, I mean, I admire people who are slash a lot because it takes a lot of dedication after you've done your job that's not, not your passion to then follow your passion I remember I had a few days when I was, because um, I'm a qualified English teacher as well, and I've always had that qualification in my pocket whenever I've needed it, or someone's asked me, and I, mm-hmm. and I wanted some quick money. And then I just felt exhausted, because it's just and it's about energy as well. I just feel like, you know, just time for money and something I'm not interested in. And then to try and find the energy to do something I am interested in that's maybe it's a bit slow to get off the ground at first. It just takes an extra effort, you know? So I really admire people who, who are that, maybe the Einstein approach. And the slash as well, you're dividing your energy into different things. Yeah, I, I think, you know, especially with the slash approach, having things that are very different from one another can help. I think it's mm-hmm. actually, it can feel re- refreshing to go mm-hmm. and do something totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're doing a lot of the same kind of work, that can get pretty exhausting mm-hmm. um, from what I've heard. 
Um, and that's been my experience too. Um, yeah, I mean, with the overwhelm, there's like a, there's a few things you can do. I mean, like focusing on small, small steps, um, especially if, if you're working on something like a big, exciting project, sometimes that can feel really overwhelming because you've got the mm-hmm. resistance, you've got the like, ah, what if this doesn't work? Or like, you know, all those like emotional things, fear of failure, fear of success, all of that. Um, so breaking it down into small steps can really help getting some support from whether it's a community or a group or just a friend who is, you're, you know, you're checking in on each other. I, I have a little mastermind group a few friends that I've been working with for like almost a decade now and we check in and we set goals and so that kind of support can really help um and then when you're planning your day um don't like I I like to have a very short to-do list and then if I get extra things done then that's awesome I can like celebrate that but it, it can be really disheartening to have like a long 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 list and then you just like get a few things done. I prefer to set my set my expectations for myself low, and then like if I get extra things done, cool, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so about outsourcing, that's a great way to uh, resolve some of the issues with mm-hmm. multi potentialites. Yeah, outsourcing is great. Of course, you need to make sure you find the right people, and mm-hmm. that might require training people. And um, but yeah, that can be that can be awesome. I mean, I've got a great team. Um, but it's taking time to find the right people. And it's mm-hmm. That's a hard process. Yeah, definitely. So, how do you think the pandemic um, and all the, the mm-hmm. how the how, how has that affected multipotentialites? Do you think everyone has had to become one because as a consequence? Mm-hmm. I don't know about everyone. I think probably you know I I've heard that a lot of people when the pandemic started were like, okay, what do I really want? right now like this is kind of a, a reset in some ways um and so more people have been embracing their multi-potentiality certainly more people have been joining our community um and i've seen that in a major way um i don't know if everyone has had to become a multi but if they want to be one i think that this is a, a you know kind of a necessity like people are looking at their different skills and say what can i do how can i make this work and everyone's working online now, so that's a lot more accepted, and there's more opportunities there for creativity, for you know, distributing your own content if you want to do that. Um, there's a great research paper that came out about how the pandemic um, has created more of a need for, they don't call us multi-potentialites, but like creative polymaths, or I forget what they mm-hmm. call us exactly, but it's um, like a straight up academic paper and I thought it was really cool that that, that came out. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people have had to adapt um, to things that I was living before the pandemic, such as, you know, yeah. that self-discipline and working from home and uh, spending a lot of time alone, like a lot of freelancers do. Mm-hmm. There's something that yeah. must have been a big, a big um, shock to the system for people who are, are not used to that. Yeah, I mean, shock to the system for everyone, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, tell us more about the writing process of your book uh, as a multi-potentialite. How was it? How was the process? It was good. Um, my editor, not all editors will do this, I learned, but my editor was cool with me sending her a chapter at a time. Okay. That really helped. So I just like, I had deadlines, 
I just focused on one chapter at a time. Uh-huh. Uh, and that made it feel a lot more manageable than trying to write the whole thing and deliver the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a while now, but I, it, was, it was a pretty positive experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, I don't know, I don't think that that is always the case when people write, <laughs> write a book. But I think the key was really breaking it up into small chunks. So is that your answer to a lot of things then with multi-potentialism is just kind of breaking it down into small chunks in general with work? And... At least that is what's worked for me and I see that work with other people. I think that, you know, when it comes to like productivity techniques, there's so many tools and tricks and everyone's so different. So you need to kind of like pick and choose what works for you. Um, but yeah, I'm a fan of breaking things down and I, you know, I, I use a timer a lot. I'll set a, if I'm having mm-hmm. trouble getting started on something, I'll set a five minute timer and I'll say, like, just go nuts for five minutes. Just work on it for five minutes. And if you want to stop at the end of the five minutes, you can. But usually that's, like, enough to, like, break the ice. And then I'm in the flow. And I'm like, okay, I can keep going. Um, so, yeah, I guess I do tend to break things down into small chunks. One thing I liked about in your book as well is how um, you have like, this line about people who value stability with was it flexibility. I can't remember what the two things yeah. were. Um, stability and I can't remember where it was but I really re- I identified with that because um, I can't remember where it is now um, so I do, I do think people who you know who want stability they're looking at um, you know or it is sim- no, it's not simultaneous sequential it was something else about people who value you know the flexibility of having your own time and then the yeah. stability of having you know a paid job <laughs> you know, or the uncertainty. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's very easy. It's, that's a kind of like one of those challenges. And I think that each model can attract different types of people. And I see, see that line in Barcelona, there's a big um, expat community of digital nomads. And then you get some people who have, you know, expat jobs, some of the people who are life coaches at 28. <laughs> it's a whole, a whole range of people. But I think for me, I definitely value that flexibility of time because I think that's a huge asset of um, that we have. And other people want to have that that salary every month or that contract yeah yeah, yeah. and it, it can change over the course of our lives depending on what's going on and family and circumstances and um we can value different like stability or flexibility or both um and mm-hmm. it's just a matter of finding that balance but yeah i think that the einstein approach in particular really appeals to people who value stability and just want to know that their income is coming in every month it's there they can just mm-hmm. do their job um, and they're you know happy and comfortable viewing that work as the thing that funds their passion projects and all the other things that they're that they're excited about um, and of course like it's important that that work be enjoyable like I don't yeah and, mm-hmm. you know people who are happy with with this model that that those are the people that i was interviewing that i really wanted to hear from not people that like hated their job um, and wish they could get out so yeah the, you know even if it's not like everything you, it's not the dream job it's still something enjoyable maybe it's something where you get to learn at work a little bit and um yeah i don't know sometimes people get to bring in their different skills but yeah that that einstein approach definitely provides a bit more stability so your TED Talks have been very successful and why some of us don't have one true calling. So how was that process of t- uh, making a TED Talk? Oh, that was cool. That was a really exciting um, process and project. 
Um, I, I wanted to get into public speaking because it was something that made me very anxious, like mm-hmm. many, for many of us. Um, but I saw, I felt like the message is, is more important than like, you know, my anxiety. And also I just wanted to do it for myself, just to like show myself I could do it. Um, so I did a bunch of research, um, to find, you know, what TEDx events were happening nearby. Um, and there was one happening a few hours away in Bend, Oregon. I was, I was living in Portland at the time and, um, yeah, I applied and then they called me for an interview and then they told me I got the, the spot. Um, and so then I set out to like write this thing and it's hard to like, they were like, you've got 12 minutes. And I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> um, and then I got a ton of feedback from, you know, different coaches and friends and colleagues that I trust. And I practice it so much. I mean, in the weeks leading up to the talk, I rehearsed this thing like three or four times a day. Like some, when I was walking to the coffee shop, I do my TED talk. I did it in front of a bunch of different people to just try and get comfortable. Um, yeah, I sort of treated it like um, like a monologue or something. Like I had the whole thing memorized, and I just I knew I was going to be so nervous that I just wanted to like know the words and know what I was saying and feel very confident that I could do this because I practiced so much. And it also felt like a big deal. Like if I got this right, it could make a huge impact, and that is what happened. So I'm really yeah. It was it was a really cool project, and then actually getting up there and doing it was very exciting. Um, and I wanted to like, I got this advice from a 16 year old who was in, he did like a, a magic, it was like a magic show TED talk thing <laughs> earlier in the day with his friend and it, it, that was really cute. And, but he, he came off stage and he was like, I don't even really remember it because it went by so fast that I just was so nervous. And I thought to myself like, that's like really good advice. Like I don't want, I don't want to feel like I'm just trying to get through it. And I'm, you know, I want to like enjoy this moment because it's going to be a big moment. So I tried to do that. I tried to go out on stage and like take a deep breath and like enjoy those 12 minutes. <laughs> um, and yeah, it went well. Um, it was a really cool experience. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. So I'm actually doing Toastmasters now. Do you know Toastmasters? I did that briefly as oh, I was yeah? like trying to get into um, public speaking. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like um, um, I started about three years ago, I, I gave a talk in Soho House in, in Barcelona, um, a private members club, and I rehearsed, rehearsed, rehearsed a lot. And then I was, I did, it went really well, like a 15 minute thing, but I had notes and, and slides which help a lot for those situations. And then I went to Toastmasters and I did one table topics like the improvised speech for one minute on food, food which is my second favorite subject. And I froze and, and I realized I had a lot to learn. So now it's been three years. I do, I do want to give my own TED talk, um, but I just feel the last talk I gave, um, I went blank on stage twice. That's kind of like set me back a little bit. But I think also Toastmasters has, has this kind of like this style that I don't, I don't think is compatible with TED. You have to kind of take, you know, pick and cherry pick some of the tips that they give you because some of it's just too rehearsed mm-hmm. and too robotic. Whereas if you're speaking from the heart, you know, that doesn't really, it's not really compatible, you know, but I think it's good to get on stage and have that, um, you know, just to get used to being on stage and not being your own obstacle. Cause that's one, that one thing that I think everyone has to deal with, you know, you have this big message and you have to kind of get out of your own way and just yeah. deliver it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not about you. 
Yeah. It's about the, like, the impact of the message and it's about people listening. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. And, you know, my mind has gone blank. I, I did quite a bit of uh, public speaking after the TED Talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was a keynote speaker at this blogger conference in Australia. And my mind went blank at that thing. And I just like <laughs> made a joke about it. Well, that's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, I think there are amazing tricks that you can do. I mean, like, I just went terrible. I just said to everyone, I'm nervous, which was the worst thing to say. But I mean, now I'm kind of like, now it's happened. I hope it doesn't happen on the TED stage or something like that. That would be just awful. I'm sure they would edit it out, but still, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, I think, you know, like laughing at yourself. Also, people get it. They understand how scary it is to be up there. And it, it can bring this like moment of, of humanity and like, yeah, just compassion I think if you kind of like acknowledge it and move on (laughs) that was what I tried to do and you worked with speech coaches as well um I worked with I don't know if I'd call them speech coaches there was like um a woman I worked with who was kind of like a presence coach which Mm -hmm. more or less was the same thing it was kind of just about like calming down your nervous system when you're in those situations and I did a workshop with her um and then there was, they gave you like a little coach for the TEDx events. So there was, I don't know what his credentials were, but he was helpful. He gave me some good feedback on my talk. And that was nice. Oh, that's amazing. So it's a huge achievement. And so it had so many views as well, hasn't it? It's, it's done really well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, yeah, it's, it's been viewed, you know, like 8 million times or something. Wow. Which is crazy. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I, that's the thing with the TED talk is like it can have a really big impact um so I was like just focus just you know we can't over prepare for this thing it's just like that important but yeah I feel very grateful that um my message resonated so far and wide definitely so how do you see the vision or the future how do you envision the future of multi-potentialites in general do you think it's because I mean in the past I think our parents generation perhaps it was always you know do a degree, get the job in the same, in that that's related and work at that somewhere until you retire, you know. I mean, I'll be <laughs> that's gone, that's long gone. Um, I think, you know, we're in this new chaotic world of work. And so multi-potentialites mm-hmm. have an advantage there because we are adaptable, we are, intru- we are curious, we do want to learn about multiple things. Um, and I think you just kind of like need to find your own way, you need to like craft your own career there's no one model out there i mean i try and provide a few like a few models that can help you think about how to structure your career Mm -hmm. um but ultimately like yeah you need to kind of put it together for yourself put those puzzle pieces together and it can be really really satisfying when you do um and also i think getting comfortable with the fact that like things change and like you're never, even if you find that perfect multi-potentialite blend of your passions and you're getting paid well and like 10 years down the road you might want something totally different and so kind of getting used to that idea that things are always evolving and also like learning to trust yourself that you'll, you'll figure it out and getting the support that you need in terms of other people um yeah, all those things. But yeah, I would love to see more multi-potentialites kind of embracing their many passions and being unapologetically 
multipods mm-hmm. doing their many things uh and yeah just kind of like thriving in the world and and not feeling bad about it about who we are so do you offer that service as, as a coach then how kind of creating someone else's multi-potentialite model i have in the past um i'm not currently doing any coaching i have like a coach recommendation page for people mm-hmm. coaches i know who work specifically with multi-potentialites and are multipods themselves um and you can find that on putty like but yeah i i'm not doing any coaching right now i'm kind of figuring out what's next for me i'm taking this astrology program oh. and so i'm like Ooh, maybe i want to like blend some of that into my coaching and um i'm also working on a television uh script and projects that i'm kind of pursuing so yeah but putty like continues to thrive and grow we've got a great community yeah. oh astrology is so interesting <laughs> such an interesting yeah. topic yeah i'm just i'm finishing up a, an eight-month program next month and i'm working on actually you might be interested in this. i'm working on my final project it's about relationships and astrology oh wow um, and i've got a survey where i ask people about their experiences in relationships and i ask for their birth data and i'm going to try and look for like markers in the birth charts that correspond to different types of experiences and i'm really excited to dig into that data and draw some conclusions or like interesting insights that might come out of that someone recommended the app um co-star do you know co-star yeah yeah co-star is fun (laughs) (laughs) that's what you're gonna say you think it would be really oh i was just gonna say i i i would love to like i don't know i'm playing with the idea of doing some kind of like career coaching mixed with astrology where we look at your chart and what it says about different strengths and and then i we also talk about like what work models might work and your different passions. I'm not sure what that might look like, but I'm playing with ideas like that. I think people love that. I think anything that people love, um, just kind of affirmation of who they are or just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, some, some time from an external figure just to tell them what they are. You know, I think people love to do that kind of get to know yourself quizzes and numerology and... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's one of the best things about astrology is it just it feels very affirming. It's like, oh, even if there's like difficult things, you're like, oh, okay, that's why this has been a challenge in my life. Like I see it right there. And that can be, that, that can be really helpful to both the, the strengths and some of the challenges. Yeah, I'm a Gemini, so I think I'm a natural multi-potential like, because Ge- Geminis are very kind of all over the place in different areas, you know? Gemini is the classic multi-potential <laughs> archetype. Yeah. What about you? Aries sun uh-huh. um, so I like to start a lot of creative projects um, I'm a Taurus moon so I like some stability emotionally and then I'm uh-huh. a Virgo rising so the Virgo is a mutable sign I'm like good at a bunch of different things and I like to like do a lot of different things that's for me where the multi-potentiality comes in and I've also got a 10th house I don't know how much you know about this oh yeah I'm an unknown co-star so. <laughs> um, but my 10th house is Gemini oh wow uh, or at least in whole sign houses it's is coincides with Gemini. I've got my North Node there, so like my kind of like public persona is like that Gemini archetype. That's like how I'm known in the world. It makes total sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Gemini Sun, and then the Moon and Rising is both um, Scorpio. So that's oh, kind of like nice. it's like communication from the Gemini and multipotentiality. But I, I, for me, like Scorpio is related to sexuality. But it's also everyone I know mm-hmm. who's a Scorpio is really hard worker. And that's that's yeah. they really like they really get into their 
maybe not Scorpio more potentialites, likes... but they're very hard workers. Yeah. 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 Scorpio likes to dig deep. Yeah. <laughs> and like go 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 to like dark places or just like just get down to the core of things. And so I think that like a fixed sign like that pairs really nicely with the Gemini Sun because the Gemini Sun can kind of like scan the horizon and explore different things but then when you find something you're into you've got that like scorpio energy to like dig deep into that that's that's pretty cool <laughs> that helps me understand myself definitely okay so a few quick questions what's the book that changed your life Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> um the book that changed my life um mm really loved um amanda palmer's book the art of asking okay asking into if for, for manifestation or for or for, or for asking for things in life um it's so it's kind of about being an artist and mm. being getting comfortable like accepting gifts from other people and like asking for what you need and um i'm not doing a great job of describing it but it's a wonderful book it's sort of like a mix between self-help and also like a lot of personal narrative and she's a great storyteller um i love that book yeah art of asking okay and do you have a phrase or affirmation or a quote that you live by Not, not on the top of my head. Maybe I do, but I feel like if I can't think of it, then I probably don't. Okay. I don't know. I mean, like, there's different values that are important to me. Authenticity is really important to me. Um, I mm-hmm. have a very hard time being fake, and I have a very hard time when other people are fake. So, like, uh, yeah, that's, I don't know if it's, like, a, like a presentative. Be yourself. Kind of be authentic. Yeah, that sort of idea. Um, mm-hmm. In all of its complexity <laughs> <laughs> and what do you do to relax at the end of the day when after your multi-potentialite brain because it must be all over the place must be very yeah yeah i um i mean i guess just hanging out with my wife mm-hmm. is really fun and relaxing for me and do you have do you find it easy to have like weekends off and um do you schedule your time to so it's so you, you make yeah, sure it's been a process it's very mm-hmm. easy when you are self-employed to work all the time yeah um, and all the time slash none of the time it's just mm-hmm. like um so i've had to be very i've gotten better at having boundaries um and when we had our son we've got a seven month old and when we had him we were both self-employed well valerie works for putty like mm-hmm. and so we drew out a schedule like this is when this person is working this is when this person is working and then the other person would be with the baby and we have um Right now we're we're at her her mom's place in Portland for the summer, but mm-hmm. back home we've got like a, a shed outside that we've converted into an office. So like having that separation, that's the office is not in the house. That's been really helpful. Um, yeah, and then I I started giving myself weekends. I think yeah, having a kid <laughs> really forced me to to be better about boundaries, and um, I'm very grateful for that. Definitely, that's something I struggled with for the first few years because it was so much fun what I was doing. I just mm. working seven days a week, you know. And then now it's like, you know, no, what happened to my personal life? <laughs> so you just don't know when work starts and life begins. Sometimes, okay. So where can people find you? People can find me at 
puttylike.com, P-U-T-T-Y-L-I-K-E.com. And, and also the puttyverse.com. Um, yeah, there's th- that, those two sites will link to, they link to all of my different things, social media and all that, but yeah. Perfect. Okay, thank you so much for joining us today on the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been lovely. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks, because the Orgasmic Lifestyle is about reaching climax in all areas. It's not like about orgasms. (laughs) It's actually about, you know, I'd also review, I actually reviewed your book in a previous episode, because I always have a section called The Book I'm Reading Now. So um, it's like all about my multi-potential interests, like nutrition and spirituality and... uh, and stuff like awesome. that yeah okay so good luck with your astrology project looking forward to <laughs> when you start sharing stuff about that online i'll be i'll be reading <laughs> cool, cool thank you so much okay thank you have a nice evening okay. Bye. Bye. the book i'm reading now is think and grow rich by napoleon hill this book was first published in 1937, and it's the most popular, the best-selling success book of all time. It was written by Napoleon Hill, and it took him a very long time to, to write this book. And it was uh, he was researching the most powerful men at the time, and he wanted to come up with a kind of blueprint of how successful and rich men thought and what was their mindset. And this is the result. And a lot of people who read this book do find it to be life-changing. I know I did. For me, it's been life-changing on many ways, not just because I discovered sex transmutation through this book, which I briefly discussed earlier, but also it's a very, it's a great book to help with your own mindset. And also whenever I read something by Napoleon Hill, it kind of gets me into a thinking big space. That's why I like to reread it and revisit it. And uh, so I think it's a, a book that's definitely worth reading, but also rereading. And let me tell you what the... Uh, what he found in his kind of um, blueprint of success. So uh, let me read just a brief, there's one chapter per topic. So we have desire, faith, auto-suggestion, specialized knowledge, imagination, organized planning, decision, persistence, power of the mastermind, and my favorite, the mystery of sex transmutation. Then the subconscious mind, the brain, the sixth sense, and how to outwit the six ghosts of fear. Fascinating stuff. So let me read a little extract for you from the chapter, The Mystery of Sex Transmutation. I have so much of this book already underlined because it's full of golden nuggets of knowledge. Anyway, let me read this to you. Um, Sex energy is the creative energy of all genii. There There never has been and never will be a great leader builder or artist lacking in this driving force of sex. Surely no one will misunderstand these statements to mean that all who are highly sexed are genii. Man attains to the status of a genius only when and if he stimulates his mind so that it draws upon the forces available through the creative faculty of the imagination. Chief among the stimuli with which this stepping up of the vibrations may be produced is sexual sex energy. The mere possession of this energy is not sufficient to produce a genius. The energy must be transmuted from desire for physical contact into some other form of desire and action. 
before it will lift one to the status of a genius. Far from becoming genii because of great sex desires, the majority of men lower themselves through misunderstanding and misuse of this great force to the status of lower animals. I find that fascinating. It's like has a lot of uh, meanings that you can understand reading between the lines. So if you're highly sexed, it doesn't mean you're going to be successful. You have to kind of know how to how to channel that energy because sexual energy can be our, you know, it can enlighten us and it can also destroy us. It can be a very destructive energy as well. So it's just knowing how to handle these these things. And also uh, something that I find interesting is the six basic fears, which are the fear of poverty, number one, the fear of criticism. Obviously, this was written before social media existed. And I think this fear has been amplified now through um, trolling and all of these negative comments that people have. Um, anyone who's a content creator, anyone who's online has to deal with that quite a lot. The fear of ill health, the fear of loss of love of someone, the fear of old age, the fear of death. Yeah, so there are lots of tips about how to overcome these great fears. And this book is amazing. I think it's not worth, it's not good to read it too quickly, even though it's a very it's a very kind of easy read, but it's good to kind of digest uh, bit by bit and also reread. I cannot recommend it enough. The Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath and enjoy. I am able. 
successful I am. Others appreciate my efforts. My talents are put to good use. you want to talk to me? I'm offering 60-minute sessions on Zoom. I offer a safe space for you to contact me to discuss any of the topics that I talk about on my website, YouTube channel, and on this podcast. Please note that I'm not a therapist. Our calls are not a replacement for therapy. Here is a list of topics that I'll happily discuss with you. Sexual wellness product consulting, self-love mentoring, sex magic coaching and guidance, content creation brainstorming, accountability partnership, life in Barcelona, Spain, and how to veganize your life. If you'd like to book a call with me, please visit my website, venusohara.org, for more information. find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening, have an orgasmic week, and make sure every day is a climax.